0: Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you.
1: To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber
0: or making a donation at Mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end.org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, Mormon History
2: Podcast,
3: Marriage on a Tightrope, and others.
2: If these programs benefit you,
3: and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States, and go towards keeping the podcast
0: alive. Mormon, Mormon Discussion and, and its lineup of great programs, helping you navigate Mormonism, one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. I think it's important
4: when we look back on the history of the church, which I've been reading and studying all of my adult life. Uh, it's a great comfort to me to know that I don't have to take the statement or actions of one particular leader as expressive of the doctrine and expectations of the
0: church. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host Bill Real, grateful for this chance to be with you. Who you just heard? Elder Oaks, of course. Elder Oaks says, "I've studied church history all of my life, and I'm grateful that I am not bound to what one leader says in terms of doctrine or in terms of expectations on the church." That's the strangest statement in the world when you say, like, who would you expect that statement to come from? And the last person you would expect it to come from is Elder Oaks. Now, why? Why would you not expect it to come from Elder Oaks? It's because Elder Oaks is the guy who says stuff every six months that we all know doesn't hold up and yet he's the only one who's saying it. Let's go through some things that Elder Oaks has said over the course of his time in the church, and let's see if we can apply it to the statement he just gave. Here's soundbite number one. And in Radio Free Mormon fashion, roll the tape. Some of this opposition even
4: comes from church members. Some who use personal reasoning or wisdom to resist prophetic direction, give themselves a label borrowed from elected bodies, the loyal opposition. However appropriate for a democracy, there's no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom, where questions
0: are honored, but opposition is not. Remember that golden dandy? Remember that gem of of a quote? Here's Elder Oaks saying, That while questions are honored, and while opposition is needed out in the world, that opposition inside the church, even that which calls itself loyal opposition, is not okay. It is not approved. Questions are honored, but opposition is not. Now, when I look out at other church leaders who also speak to the same idea, which is that our doctrine is not determined by individual statements. I also run into these two gems by Elder Christofferson and Elder Anderson. Let's apply these to what Elder Oaks just said.
5: At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well considered, opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such.
0: Not every statement made by a leader. Now, here's the trouble. Christofferson, we've dissected this in the past. Go back earlier to earlier episodes of Mormon discussion around the time that this talk was given, and we dissect why what he says doesn't hold up. But here's the issue. When you say not every statement, you're going to have to also provide a way that church members can know which statements are trustable as the doctrine of the church and which statements are not. And the Holy Ghost is insufficient at telling that. Why? Because church members throughout the history of the church have believed lots of crazy shiz that is not no longer anyhow accepted as the current doctrine of the church. Examples? The Adam-God doctrine, the race and priesthood ban, those of color being less valiant and interracial marriage being sin, uh... There are church members out there who have believed the nonsense that past leaders have spouted and those past leaders have believed it only to have later leaders then disavow and dismiss and deflect and change those things into disavowed theories and make a 180 turn. So, Christofferson says not every statement's acceptable. So, which ones are? And then, thank goodness, Elder Anderson, six months later, comes in with this gem of a quote Roll the tape.
2: A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There's an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. So
0: now it's everything that all 15 teach in unity, right? So we have this added conversation point. We have this added insight, this added a uh, clarification for Mormon doctrine. So it's not that not every statement of a leader constitutes doctrine, but it is what all 15 men teach unitedly. Here's the trouble, Elder Oaks. The things you say every six months are only the things you say. You keep imposing that the proclamation is, is somehow binding on the Latter-day Saints when it isn't. It's not doctrine, and it's not doctrine in the way that Mormonism has instituted that things become doctrine, that things become the standard works, that things become canonized scripture. It's a proclamation. And when we look at the other proclamations the church have made, they're useless. They mean nothing today. So Elder Oaks, the problem here is that you've made a lifetime Work out of saying things that none of your peers choose to talk about or say. You impose them strongly, and then you yourself, Elder Christofferson, and Elder Anderson all say, like, people are free to discard what you've said. And you said that yourself right here. It's important when
4: we look back on the history of the church which I've been reading studying all of my adult life Uh, it's a great comfort to me to know that I don't have to take the statement or actions of one particular leader as expressive of the doctrine and expectations of the church
0: So when you say questions are honored, which they're not, you know that, I know that, nobody's going to tackle the hard questions. If a question is easily answered, you'll tackle that one, but you and Elder Ballard have already said the hard questions, the ones we don't have good answers for, those are the ones we're going to avoid. Questions are not honored. In fact, if you only take the easy questions, then you are showing point blank that questions are not honored. You're displaying for the whole world to see that questions aren't honored. The only time people can see that questions are honored is when someone's willing to take the tough questions. That's how you show people that questions are honored. So you say questions are honored. They're not. But opposition is not honored. But here's the trouble. Jesus offered opposition within his religious system. Jesus offered opposition. Are you really condemning the savior of the world? He was constantly pushing back against the authorities of his church. Elder Oaks, to say opposition is not honored, diminishes the Christ of the New Testament. Elder Oaks, surely you see that the one group of people Christ most pushed back against were the religious authorities of his religious system. Elder Oaks, what else have you said in your life?
3: In the past, the the church has had harsh tones, at least, to, to the discussion surrounding LGBT rights. Um, In a Tribune story that we published on Tuesday, Elder Oaks, you were quoted as saying that the church doesn't seek apologies and we don't give them. And of course, this sparked a a whole storm on social media about those who who wonder how this view comports with Christian theology. Uh, Again, wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that.
1: I'm not aware that the word apology appears anywhere in the scriptures, Bible or Book of Mormon. Uh, the word apology contains a lot of connotations in it and a lot of significance. We do not seek apologies. When our temple was desecrated in California, when people were fired and intimidated, when a lot of other coercive measures were used, we sought no apology. That's what I meant by saying we don't seek apology. We think that the best way to solve these problems is not a formal statement of words that an apology consists of, but talking about principles
0: and goodwill among contending viewpoints. Remember this: This happened back on uh, January 30th, 2015. Elder Oaks said, "I know that the history of the church is not to seek apologies or to give them. We sometimes look back on issues and say." Maybe that was counterproductive for what we wish to achieve, but we look forward and not backward. The church doesn't seek apologies and we won't give them. So here's the issue. Right after that, they do an interview on uh, with the Salt Lake Tribune in a conversation with Jennifer Napier Pierce. And she then goes into this audio where she asked the question like, hey, Elder Oaks, you said this and people were frustrated by that would you like to explain it further? I simply will notice here that Elder Oaks talks in depth about not seeking apologies because he's trying to avoid having a conversation about defending his quote of not giving them. Listen to this again and notice Elder Oaks avoiding wanting to talk about the part about not giving apologies and wants to focus on why the church doesn't seek them.
3: In the past, the, the Church has had harsh tones, at least, to, to the discussion surrounding LGBT rights. Um, in a Tribune story that we published on Tuesday, Elder Oaks, you were quoted as saying that the Church doesn't seek apologies and we don't give them. And of course, this sparked a, a whole storm on social media about those who, who wonder how this view comports with Christian theology. Uh, again, wanted to give you a, an opportunity to respond to that.
1: I'm not aware that the word apology appears anywhere in the scriptures, Bible, or Book of Mormon. Uh, The word apology contains a lot of connotations in it, and a lot of significance. We do not seek apologies. When our temple was desecrated in California, when people were fired and intimidated, When a lot of other coercive measures were used, we sought no apology. That's what I meant by saying we don't seek apology. We think that the best way to solve these problems is not a formal statement of words that an apology consists of, but
0: talking about principles and goodwill among contending viewpoints. But where is this the doctrine? Where, where do we have some official statement that the church doesn't give apologies? And how? He says it's, this isn't, it has nothing to do with Christianity. This has nothing to do with Christ-like behavior. Really? The LDS Gospel Principles talks about in order to be honest, in order for repentance, in both of those sections, it talks about being forthright, admitting mistakes, not hiding conversation or information about something that you're withholding intentionally to manipulate somebody else. And all of that's going on right here. Elder Oaks, to be Christ-like, we have to be able to go to those who we've hurt, who we've offended, who we've imposed our words as the word of God only to disavow them later. We owe it to other human beings, to go to them and to make amends, to make things right, to confess our sin. Elder Oaks, seriously, you can't be serious that an apology in a moment where trauma and harm have been caused and you realize you individually or collectively as an institutional leadership that you've wronged other people, that we don't give apologies. Elder Oaks, Why is your statement, you being the only guy who's ever said this, why is your statement true when you've said this?
4: It's a great comfort to me to know that I don't have to take the statement or actions of one particular leader as expressive of the doctrine and expectations of the church.
0: Elder Oaks, what else have you said? Oh, that's right. Wait a minute. There's a conversation where the public affairs are talking with you. This is on Mormon Newsroom, where the public affairs staff, somebody, is talking to you and Elder Lance Wickman of the Seventy. And the public affairs ask this question. At what point? And by the way, this is still on the Mormon Newsroom, and this is deeply offensive. So the church is giving it its stamp of approval, and this is so offensive, and trauma-causing that it should have been removed. In fact, it should have never been put on the website. Public affairs, they ask this question, at what point does showing that love cross the line into inadvertently endorsing behavior? If the son says, well, if you love me, can I bring my partner? And this is talking about a gay son. If Elder Oaks were to have a gay child, which by the way, Elder Oaks does have a gay, I don't know if it's a son or grandson, Uh, but here he's asked, well, if you, so in terms of if the son says, well, if you love me, can I bring my partner to our home to visit? To visit. Can we come for the holidays? For the holidays. Can Elder Oaks' child come visit him at Christmas and Thanksgiving? How do you balance that against, for example, concern for other children in the home? Why would you have concern for other children in the home? One child being gay doesn't make your other children gay. The question is atrocious, but that's the public affairs. Here's Elder Oaks' answer. That's a decision that needs to be made individually by the person responsible. Calling upon the Lord for inspiration. You need to ask God how to love your gay child and God may tell you the following. That's Now that's me adding that in. Again, let me give Elder Oaks direct answer because I'm so frustrated that I'm going to add in commentary and I don't want you to perceive it as Elder Oaks' answer. Here's the public affairs question one more time. At what point does showing that love cross the line into inadvertently endorsing behavior? If the son says, well, if you love me, Can I bring my partner to our home to visit? Can we come for the holidays? How do you balance that against, for example, concern for other children in the home? Elder Oaks' response, That's a decision that needs to be made individually by the person responsible calling upon the Lord for inspiration. I can imagine that in most circumstances the parents would say, Please don't do that. Don't put us into that position. Surely, if there are children in the home who would be influenced by this example, the answer would likely be that. There would also be other factors that would make that the likely answer. I can also imagine some circumstances in which it might be possible to say, Yes, come, but don't expect to stay overnight. Don't expect to be a lengthy house guest. Don't expect, don't expect us to take you out and introduce you to our friends or to deal with you in a public situation that would imply our approval of your partnership. There are also so many different circumstances. It is impossible to give one answer that fits all. This, that's it. That's, that's the question. That's the answer. But this is atrocious. And it's atrocious because Elder Oaks is putting every member of the church in in several uh, untenable positions. One position is that you have to choose. You have to choose between showing loyalty to the church and showing support for its positions and for loving your child. And you don't have to choose. Taking your child out into public and saying, here's my son and here's his partner. Has nothing to do with whether you give approval for their behavior if you so need to be in disapproval of it. Letting your child come to your house for Christmas with their partner who they're legally married to and staying at your home has nothing to do with your loyalty to this unhealthy, high demand fundamentalist religion. Why do members of the church have to choose? between being loyal to their church and loving their child. And Elder Oaks goes one step further. He makes it clear that most members of the church would probably handle it this way, and maybe a few members could make room that they would say, sure, you could show up, but don't stay very long. When my children, I love my children, and I'm not the best parent in the world, but I love my children. If my children, as adults, regardless of what their choices are in terms of who they love. And I honor that. Whoever my children choose to love, they, they, my child and their partner, who they are married to, let's, let's assume these are marriages that are legally binding. Whoever my child is married to, you are more than welcome to come to my home. You're welcome to stay as long as any of the rest of my children are welcome to stay. And that is for a week, two weeks, three weeks, stay a month if you want to. I would never tell my child that they cannot be a lengthy house guest over the holidays on the basis of who they felt attracted to and who they chose to share a relationship with such is bs elder oaks to what you have said here let me put your own words against you
4: it's a great comfort to me to know that i don't have to take the statement or actions of one particular leader as expressive of the doctrine and expectations of the church
0: it is not a comfort to me elder oaks you said it's a great comfort to you that you can that you can dismiss if you need to a particular statement by a given church leader it's not a comfort to me elder oaks your homophobia comes out listen to your answer again that's a decision that needs to be made individually by the person responsible calling upon the lord for i don't have to ask god how to love my four children do they present me with challenges absolutely am i the best parent no i'm not do I need to ask God how to be inclusive and loving, how to be accepting of diversity? Elder Oaks, you're homophobic. Elder Oaks, you try to use God as a way to make peace with your own bigotry and prejudice. That's atrocious, Elder Oaks. I don't need to call upon God for inspiration on how to decide how to treat my gay child differently than my, my heterosexual child. He continues, I can imagine that in most circumstances, I can imagine that in most circumstances, in other words, to the members of the church, most of you should be doing this. In other words, please don't do that. Don't ask me to have you at my house. Don't ask me to to let you stay the night. Don't ask me to take you to dinner. He says, please don't do that. Don't put us in that position. Surely, if there were children in the home, Who would be influenced by this example the answer would likely be that in other words you members of the church if you don't choose that outcome with children in your home shame on you shame on you church members this is abusive this is unrighteous dominion surely if there are children in the home who would be influenced by this example how are these children going to be influenced elder oaks are they going to become gay because your kid is gay that's ridiculous are what, are what is going to ha- are they going to no longer value the relationship with their heterosexual spouse because their brother or sister values their relationship with their homosexual spouse? That doesn't make any sense. This is bigotry and prejudice without any scientific backing. This is nonsense. Surely, if there are children in the home who would be influenced by this example, the answer would likely be that there would also be other factors that would make that the likely answer. In other words, that answer should be the likely answer. I'm Elder Oaks, and I'm telling the members of the church that this should be the likely answer that most of you arrive at. I can also imagine some circumstances in which it might be possible to say, yes, come, but don't expect to stay overnight. In other words, most parents should be pushing their children completely away Most parents should not let their gay child be in their presence. But in a few rare examples, I could see that some members of the church, it might be possible to say, yes, come, but don't expect to stay overnight. Don't expect to be a lengthy house guest. Don't expect us to take you out and introduce you to our friends or to deal with you in a public situation that would imply our approval of your partnership." listen to the homophobia, listen to the bigotry, listen to the prejudice, listen to the lack of love, listen to the certainty he has to the point where it clouds him being like the savior. Jesus didn't do this. Jesus welcomed being seen in public with those that his religious system said were less than. Jesus welcomed running into the eunuch and explaining to the people that they needed some growth on their end. Jesus welcomed being with the tax collector. So Jesus sat with these people as if like, I don't get it. Why are you so prejudiced? prejudicing? It's those who are different than you. And Elder Oak says that it is likely that most of you members of the church should act in the way that these Pharisees and Sadducees act that Jesus called out. There are many different circumstances, Elder Oaks says. It's impossible to give one answer that fits all. Elder Oaks, you're a bigot. You hold prejudices and they cloud your judgment. My guess is, Elder Oaks, is that you've been mean, mean to a lot of people, and that eats at you enough that you need to have Jesus supporting your past treatment of people and present treatment of people so that you don't have an immense amount of guilt for the way that you've acted in your life. You're supposed to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what you tout here is the opposite position that Jesus held. This isn't the position that Jesus held. To not to to push your children away because they're gay, to not have them over, to not want them in your presence. And, and for the very few people who let them in their presence, for you to say like, no, nah, but, but don't take them in public, don't have them as a lengthy house guest. Elder Oaks, this position is full of hate. And so not only did you condemn your words, but so do your brethren.
5: At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such.
0: And this one.
2: A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There's an important principle that governs the doctrine of the Church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find.
0: I want to share one more. And unfortunately, this one is backed up by other leaders of the church. It is backed up by the handbook.
4: It's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism
0: is true. Sadly, to sit here in front of a microphone and to call Elder Oaks out for his hate speech, for his violation of human dignity, For exposing his bigotry and prejudice, his deep-rooted homophobia violates church rules. It's the reason that I'm at risk and at some point will be excommunicated. It's why my stake president receives phone calls every month informing him that every time I expose a church leader for lying for teaching something untrue, and for imposing their hatred of others, people they're supposed to love, their child, for example, that when I expose that, that I'm at risk for church discipline. Never mind that Elder Oaks is a homophobe who preaches hate. Never mind that Elder Holland is dishonest. Never mind that the church's history doesn't add up and the church leaders have obfuscated it at every twist and turn. Never mind that. What counts is that we can't be critical. We can't expose it. We can't raise a voice to it, no matter how true it is. Here's Elder Oaks reiterating what President Hinckley has said. Criticism is particularly objectionable
4: when it is directed toward church authorities, general or local. Jude condemns those who speak evil of dignities. That's Jude 8. Evil speaking of the Lord's anointed is in a class by itself. It is one thing to depreciate a person who exercises corporate power or even government power. It is quite another thing to criticize or depreciate a person for the
0: performance of an office to which he or she has been called of God. I have two thoughts in closing. The first one is this idea that criticizing the leaders of the church is in a class of its own, and then using this scripture from Jude about not speaking negatively of dignitaries. It's always easy when you're on one side of an argument to use the scriptures or to use quotes by other leaders in the past to support your perspective, Elder Oak's perspective, and he's reiterating President Hinckley's perspective of criticizing the leaders of the church as this horrible thing. But ask yourself, is such not the very essence of who Jesus Christ was? If you go back and read the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And ask yourself as you're reading, who Jesus is having interactions with? Who is Jesus sitting with as a friend? Who is Jesus cooperating with? Who is Jesus pushing back against? Who is Jesus dissenting against? And remember, this is the true and living church of Jesus's day the Jewish faith that Jesus is a member of, as Mormonism holds the ground that this is the Lord's church in its day. Perhaps it has on some level apostatized. Perhaps its leaders are not acting in complete righteousness. But if there's one thing that you can bank on in the New Testament, is that the people that Jesus pushes back against the most, the people that Jesus criticizes the most, the people that Jesus holds accountable the most, are the leaders of his church. In fact, in Matthew 23, starting in verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell. You yourselves are blind guides. What sorrow awaits you, for you say what it means, nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple, blind fools, which is more important? the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. Now, can we listen to Elder Oak reiterating Gordon B. Hinckley once more with the recognition that Jesus himself criticized the religious leaders of his true and living church, that Jesus criticize the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees.
4: Criticism is particularly objectionable when it is directed toward church authorities, general or local. Jude condemns those who speak evil of dignities. That's Jude 8. Evil speaking of the Lord's anointed is in a class by itself. It is one thing to depreciate a person who exercises corporate power or even government power. It is quite another thing to criticize or depreciate a person for the performance of an office to which
0: he or she has been
4: called of God.
0: And the handbook itself says that apostasy is when a member of the church works against the leaders of the church. And while I would like to argue that my exposing the harmful mechanisms, the dishonesty, in the imposed hatred of a human being as the Word of God is actually working to help the church and to help its leaders be better, sadly, that's not how they choose to interpret it. So at some point, sure, I'll be out. They'll still be in. But that doesn't stop the truth. May the Lord warm your shoulders. Until next time, this is Bill Real from Mormon Discussion Podcast.
6: All the pain is gone, but I remain the same. Taking out my issues never healed the heal the flame and all my love is gone they say